Borukata Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam Asher Barkar Bin Viim Tovim Veratza Vedivrehim Ha Ne Emarim Beemet Borukata Adonai Haboker Batora Uv Moshe Avdo Uv Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Ha Emet Vazedek Biskut Mashiach Kishua Amen. Amen. Well, Shalom, welcome to the Haftarah Get You Some with Shomer and Chasis. And a Rosh Hashanah Tov, we are a couple of days, well, getting into this, the third day of the new month of ER. So I hope everyone had a beautiful Rosh Hodesh and that the healing is being unleashed. So, Brugashem, I'm going to hand it over to Hasis for our Haftarah. We are in Yehezekiel this week, and here we go. All right. So... Like I said, like Ahmed said, we're in Hezekiel 22. We'll be going through uh, verses 1 through 19. Uh, there are some varying customs about different things we eat. So some people will read a different verse in Hezekiel or, or almost, but we're going to stick with this section in here. And so a quick outline of the summary of our, our verses. Uh, we have the... Uh, Oh, hold on now. Never mind. Let's come and skip that right quick. Okay. So, links to the Torah Porsche. Links to the Torah Porsche. Like it. We have, you know, in you know the Torah reading, we have like this this warning going on in Parsha Kodoshim, where the Jewish people do not transgress all these numbers of laws. There's a whole bunch of laws in this Torah Parsha. Amazing. Uh, but they have to contrast this with this stark reality. Um, in the prophet Yechezkel's time, this is before the destruction of the first Be'amichdash, uh, the Jews violated these prohibitions. And there's different examples, and it's also parallels some, some of the laws from Achimot. But just going to a little bit of comparison between Kadashim and our Haftorah, we have in 19.3 of Kadashim, a man is to respect his father and mother. In the Haftorah, on the other hand, father and mother are, are treated with contempt among you. And do not turn to idols. And then the half to where she, the city, meaning its inhabitants, made idols. Uh, do not steal. Do not deny rightful claim. Do not withhold a worker's wage. And the half to where, says, men have taken bribes among you and gained of your neighbors by extortion. And again, just parallel and go back and forth. Do not hurt the feelings of a, of a ger, of a convert. And then the half to where they have oppressed the ger. Uh, penalties for illicit relationships and a half tour the Jews are criticized for violating these prohibitions and there's there's probably a few others but uh, another one will be you shall be holy I have separated you from nations to be mine and then here in this half tour it says beginning and concluding the half tour we have this this phrase it says you have become impure and you have turned into dross Ooh. and so it's the opposite of being holy right the whole idea of uh, holy kadosh is this idea of being separated, right? Right, being set apart, if you will. And so you have drosh, which is just like merged and melted with all this, all these different types of of metal, if you will. And it's something that's complete opposite of pure. Something that's complete opposite of, of set apart for a specific purpose. Oh, kind of like the mixed seed in the fields. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, so in 
we'll kind of get into this kind of view because we we noticed there's all these parallels of of how we as Jewish na- nation at that time have broken all these mitzvah. Mm. But what's interesting, if you le- read a lot of the commentaries, and even if you kind of look in the Hebrew, a lot of the words are used in the singular form, not necessarily covering like a, a, a whole bunch of people, but specific individuals, you know, mm. and, and actions of, of single people. And so it's not necessarily the whole nation is doing this. In fact, when you read through different commentaries, and you see that most of the people were actually very righteous people. We'll get into it in a second, but it was this minority that was being focused on. And so, you know, there's, there's this idea that, you know, when we examine the prophet's words of Tanakh, we find they often magnify the sins of, of B'nai Israel in these fallen respects. There's these four respects that they magnify the sins in. And one is the frequency of the occurrence. So even if a transgression occurred rarely, uh, the prophets would often condemn it in like such extreme terms that uh, people who are unfamiliar with the text might easily assume that they committed on a, just a regular basis, a daily thing for them. Uh, the second the second idea is the number of participants. The prophets censored um, the the entire nation for the infractions of the minority on the, the population or even of individuals. That's what we mentioned earlier is, is the minority population that caused this. Uh, three, the third principle is a generation is blamed for the sins of its forebearers. So it's not just the people at that time, it's the people before them, their ancestors. Wow. And the fourth one that they magnify the sins is the severity of it. And so even if a sin was committed only in its mildest form, right, the prophets would often condemn it as if it had been carried out to its fullest extent. Wow. Uh, much like you know, kind of compare the words of uh, Yeshua when he's mentioning, you know, you if you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery in your heart, right? Wow. So this this concept isn't completely foreign to to, um, to anyone coming from maybe a different background. So it's important to kind of take a step back and like really understand these are these are four ways that that the the prophets magnify the sins of the Israel. It's not that they were just like this depraved apocalyptic society. You know, you see all these apocalyptic movies where the world's ending and people go crazy, you know, right. um, but the sins are magnified for a reason, you know, and to, to stress how, how significant it is to us. Um, there's, you know, just this interesting idea that you look at like, just on, on that note, you look at higher life forms, right? And each higher life form has this um, a, a deeper ability to to feel and experience different emotions, or it's pain, anger, sadness, joy, happiness. You know, kind of look you compare it to like the the ant, right? This a bug, insect to a dog. The dog has so much more capability of, of feelings. You compare it to a dog to you know, a, a human being, the human being has so much capabilities of feeling than, than a dog, right? Right. And if you keep following that chain up to the very top, the, the highest form of intellect, the highest form of wisdom, the creator of everything, Hashem, then the train goes like he has so much more of ability to feel things in a deeper manner than we do. And so 
the prophet is the mouthpiece of Hashem. And so when he's magnifying the sins, it's it's almost like Hashem's communicating the way he sees it. No, it's not that you just didn't, you know, pay your worker uh, within the hour that you were supposed to, even though you just paid him like a few hours later, whatever the case may be. That, that to him is like, you just withheld this money from this guy. It's like you starved his family, him and his family, because wow. you withheld money from him. Right? He sees it and he feels it on a much deeper level that we couldn't even comprehend. Wow. So as higher as the heavens above the earth are my ways than your ways. Mm. Love it. Bring that source text. <laughs> yes, you are here. <laughs> Love it, man. 55. Yes. <laughs> man. But yeah, you know, like, like, man, you just brought down, like, there's, like, there's this whole foundation for that, that concept as well. You know, and so it's important where, when we read this, we're literally seeing how Shem sees it, you know? Wow. But, you know, he does implore us, you know, you shall be for me a kingdom of Kohanim a holy people, which meant every single Jew with no exceptions. And so it begs this question, like, how are we ever going to achieve this goal? You know, how are we going to do it? Well, how are we going to do it? <laughs> you know, the, the Jewish nation is imbued with this intense fear of heaven and fervor to fill Hashem's commands. When, when we're filled with this, the atmosphere of Kedusha, this holiness is literally going to influence those around us, whether sinners, whether those far off, whatever, you, you know, are people just stuck in the middle, unsure? Wow. So, you know, it's a proven fact that you have a, a strong commitment to Torah observance on the part of the group will actually raise the level of everyone else who's outside of that group. Come on. And so this whole idea of being, achieving this goal is like, really being dedicated, having to resolve, say, I'm going to follow Shim with everything I have, everything that comes my way, even if I never heard it before, even if I'm unfamiliar, even if I don't necessarily know how at the time, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability because that's the way to honor my father in heaven. Right? Wow. wow. And, you know, when you have that resolve, there's this light, this, this holy light that's brought down to the world and other people are drawn to it. Uh, and so this is really the, the goal. This is how, what, how we're to achieve that goal of being a, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests and Kohanim, right? Or a kingdom of uh, Kohanim and holy people, right? That's right. Uh, so you can almost see, you know, even though the majority of the nation was righteous and only a minority was depraved, like sinful, wicked people, it, it kind of, you have a change of perspective of why they're judged so harshly. Because if, if they were just a whole bunch of wicked people and a, a few small people, you know, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? You have this enormous group of, of wicked people who has influence over the, the good people, right? The mm -hmm. righteous people falling in Hashem's path. But in this instance, you have all, all these Sadakim, all these great people, and you have this minority group of people who is sinning. Right? So it's like, wh what's the deal? Why are these people still here? Are like are you not sharing your light with them? That would be the question for sure. And and so you can see why why they are being judged the way they, they are, because if you have a majority of people who follow Hashem's ways, then that influence should be spreading to the minority group of people. And so what's going on? And this this have to elucidate through this idea. 
Wow. The theme, what's going on? <laughs> what's going, what's going on? on? Hey, hey, what's, what's that? going on? <laughs> the what's going on song. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just, just to kind of stress this idea, you know, there was, there was a lot of people there with really refined character traits. Like, for instance, if someone, the Midrash highlights this idea, if someone was invited out to a meal, he rolled up his sleeve to indicate that he was booked. And this, why did he do this? You know, it prevented anyone else from in, in inviting him and suffering the embarrassment of being refused. What? Just, just the level of intentionality. Yeah. So they would roll up their sleeve, right? Just reinforce. They would people would roll up their sleeve if they are invited or if they're booked in a meal. So that if someone invited them out, not knowing that they had been invited, right? They wouldn't have to do that. They, they would see that the person's sleeves rolled up and be like, oh, hey, he's already invited somewhere. And so I'm not going to ask him. Okay, right? okay. As opposed to him, him going and asking, hey, let's come for this meal. And now he's being refused. And so he's uh, has this embarrassment. Wow. You know, being refused. Yeah. And just another instance is they would throw this, uh, this cloth over their door. And that would indicate that they had they had food and they're willing people just to come in and enjoy the meal with them, you know, share what they have, share fellowship, break bread together, you know. And when, whenever the, it was booked and the space was full, if they didn't have enough food at that point because too many people came in, they would take that mat off their door, this little cloth off off the front of their door, and people would know, okay, hey, they're they're busy right now, like they have they have too much. The space is. Uh, max capacity. Wow. And so, you know, it really just goes to show um, that they were they weren't just there weren't just all these Sadakim of the nations. They were very very intentional with uh, just just kind of like making offense around the Torah, as our Avot say, in order not to to uh, hurt their fellow man. But there is this principle, right, that, that we as a Jewish nation are judged more strictly. Absolutely. Uh, the prophet Amos says in, in 3.2 that only you do I have love for all the families on earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. And so this is the principle that's stressed in Devarim 85 where it says, You shall know in your heart that as, as man chastises his son, so does Hashem your God chastise you. And so you may say this, this whole idea of a parent is very critical to their child's behavior. Um, and will punish him if he disobeys, but he'll ignore identical misbehavior from someone else's child. Why? Because that's their child. Mm. They're there to help them grow and develop into not just a, a, a decent human being, but the, the most upstanding human being. Okay, so getting into our, our half tour a little bit more now says, Hashem's word came to me as follows you, son of man. Are you going to reprove, yea, to reprove the bloody city of Jerusalem, then make it known to her all her abominations? Mm. And so in this half tour, Cheskel is going to mention these three cardinal sins, idol worship, immorality, bloodshed. These are the ones that you have to give up your life rather than commit. Um, and so we will discuss this as, as we go on. 
But the word, will you reprove, is literally repeated in this. Yes, I see it twice right there. And so, you know, why Why is it being repeated? This is the big question that's being asked. You know, on a simple level, Hashem is giving Yechezkel a very difficult task. And so it's like, you ask someone to do something and they just say, yeah, I'm there. And you say, you sure? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, um, that's that's one, one aspect of what's going on here. And another is, it's kind of Hashem almost giving him uh, an ultimatum, maybe maybe not sort of ultimatum, but an, an option of, look, it's either you or me. Wow. Like, you can either be the judge of the city or I can. Man. Right? And if I'm the judge of the city, all yeah. these curses that are in the Torah are going to fall upon these people. And so, Yechezchel being just uh, the, the amazing... Navi, the amazing prophet that he is, says, okay, I'm going to judge these people. I'm going to speak to them. I'm going to reprove them. Wow. So, um, but, you know, it, we go back to this whole idea. Of also, the next next idea is this whole idea of a bloody city, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, like we mentioned, all these people were Sadakim. Like, they would, they would literally roll up their sleeves so they didn't offend anybody. You know, and, and so, like, why is it referred to as a bloody city? And it's really because of the last course of these, these four centuries of the, the first Behanek, that's when it stood, there was all these various rulers, and, and a few of those were these kings who would execute all these these people, Zechariah, um, uh, different Cohens, uh, like Uriah, right? right. And so yeah. all these different people, like all these killing kings, and it was like the blood that they shed um, that that uh, is the reason why Yushalayim is referred to as a bloody city or city of blood. And the guilty part of the people is that they didn't stand up and protest. Ooh. And so, you know, silence isn't always the best option. Man. Right? And it's like, and, and a vote says, as I sat among the sages, I found nothing better than silence. But guess what? That's, that's a, silence is among the sages. Ones you can learn to our wisdom. But when there's evil going on in the world, you know, there there has to be some. There has to be a stand that's taken. So you're saying there's and a time for everything? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a quote that says, uh, "All it takes for uh, might be butchering it. All it takes for uh, evil to reign in the world is for good men to do nothing." Uh, something along those lines, and that's kind of what you have in this afterwards. There's a lot of these atrocities that go on. And yes, they're from high up rulers or from select individuals, but there's not this outright protest of of what happened. And so there's this kind of question that, that begs us to happen. Um, also, another a- aspect of <clears throat> why is all of Israel being punished for the sin of the minority? Why? And we mentioned before this idea, okay, well, if you're the bigger group, you should have influence over the minority. Um, but there's also the aspect of the very fact <clears throat> that we have to ask that question of why is the whole of Israel being persecuted, afflicted, punished, however you want to look at it, for individuals who are not falling in line with the Shem's will? It's the very fact that we have to ask that question is a heart problem. Wow. And it shows that we have devalued human life. Because as Chazal puts it, 
that one who destroys a single soul is considered as though he wiped out an entire world, and vice versa, those who saved a single soul has has it's like he saved an entire world. Say so it goes back to how Hashem feels about certain things and how he feels on a, on a much deeper, sophisticated level. He's not looking at it as, hey, that's just that's just one person out of the the thousands, you know. Is that is that has entire world who I've beautifully and wonderfully crafted in my image. And if that person is lost, that world is lost. You know, kind of look, it, it'd be it'd be on the, on the lines of, uh, you know, maybe like since all these Avenger movies are coming out, it'd be like if if Earth was being attacked and or something, and you have all these superheroes be like, ah, oh, no, it's just Earth. It's fine. <laughs> Let it be destroyed. Let it be destroyed. Hey, What's yo. it to us? We we've got a whole galaxy. <laughs> you know. Yikes. You know, it's like we can't we can't see it that way. We have to see ourselves. We are literally a holy nation mm. of, of a kingdom and, and, and priest. We are literally the superheroes who are many, literally meant to bring light into a dark world. Wow. And so the fact that we we even have to ask the question of why is why am I being punished or why is Israel being punished or why is why is why is Jewish nation being punished here because a minority of people is sinning. That shows a heart problem. That shows that we 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 don't really have the right perspective. Hmm. But uh, also this whole idea of like some sins are equivalent to bloodshed in the Almighty's eyes. For example, you know, going back to he sees on a higher level, uh, stealing from a pauper is considered as though the thief had taken his life, right? Because he might not have uh, the money to make ends meet for him or his family. Uh, also speaking with Shanara is equated by our sages with, with murdering the victim. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, another another uh, example of why um, why it's this their sin is being magnified is literally they're in Yushalayim, Yushalayim, the city of holiness. This is like the palace of Hashem, and of course, there's going to be more of a reckoning, if you will, if you're going to sin in the palace of the king, bring the filth into the palace of the king, as opposed to anywhere else. Mm. Going down in verse three says. Say thus, says Hashem Elohim, the city that spills blood in their midst has caused her time of punishment to arrive. Besides blood, says she has made abominable idols of her high heels to defile her. And there's this term, says uh, Gilim, which is, which is used here to denote idols, but there's actually more little translation. And that's dung. <laughs> really? Yes. So... Uh, is this idea idol worship is, is is so offensive, particularly in, in the holy city of Yushalayim, Yushalayim, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see why it's equated with that because of, it's just absolute waste. Um, there's also the story of how the idolatrous natures they read um, Bamdibar and the, the Moabite women, how they seduced the Israelites in the wilderness, like that was part of their rite of worshiping uh, the foreign foreign gods. Was this act of defecating by the by the altar? You're talking about the incident at Shatim. Yes. Wow. Yes. Dang, man. So, quick tag, if you have a moment. Yeah, go for it. Uh, I was gonna just cite that this Gilulim word is what we talk about in the Elenu. and what's, oh, really? <laughs> what's amazing is that we're talking about Gilulim. As far as within the entire earth. And we're, as we're looking forward to heaven and earth becoming one, 
it's not just Yerushalayim that's considered holy by Hashem. It's the whole entire world. And mm-hmm. in the Elenu, we're talking about all nations coming into Torah, which is what we're in the precursor of right now. And then the next part about this is I was doing a Josephus study this past Shabbat because I was just absolutely mind blown. I was just looking for one thing and one thing led to another. But yeah, that's usually how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> just in Josephus, he writes about how all of the insignias, all the statues, all of the Roman influence uh, infiltrated Yerushalayim. So by the time Mashiach's trial comes up, which was unfair, uh, but I digress, that the people were saying they have no king but Caesar because Yerushalayim was filled with Rome, like all the statues, all the decorations, all of the, uh, like I said, the insignias. And this was all brought in by Pontius Pilate. And so if you think about these Gilulim, Yerushalayim at that point was at the height of Gilulim. And go figure that there was such depravity that the true Mashiach could not even be fathomed by a good amount of the people. And, you know, we're talking here about the ratio of Zadikim to wicked ones and how that balances off, you know. And so, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up that the Gilulim and the and the Elenu and also the time of Mashiach. Wow. Man. It's <laughs> incredible. So like that that whole time period it was just like so infiltrated with just like this this whole false belief. Right. Man. And to think that Hashem was like even at that point I am ready to redeem my people if they so choose. Yeah, that's that's, that's a powerful thought. <laughs> Amid, amidst all, all of our filth and our, our sin, like you're still willing to come in and, and redeem us in any particular way. Right. You know, um, it's it's interesting because reading through this on this aspect of making the coon for all these sins and redemption, you you have the this half Torah list is twenty four sins. Wow. Okay, and this this number is very significant, right? Yeah, we talked about because, that last week. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. So it's like this whole idea of we also have twenty four books in our Tanakh, twenty four sefers, right? Wow. Sefarim in in our, our Tanakh. And you know we mentioned in uh, the ministry we mentioned before in Gemara, the Gemara, Nedarim twenty two b more explicitly says had Claude Israel, Israel sinned, had they not sinned, only the five books of Moshe and the book of Yehoshua would have been given to them because it re- records the portions of Eretz Israel. And so, literally, like all, it, the fact that we have twenty four books within our Tanakh is because of our sins. Wow, and so literally, like paralleling this with the the twenty four sins that's mentioned as half Torah, literally when we when we study our Tanakh, when we study the the books of our Tanakh, we're literally like 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 why why is the Torah make like atonement for us? Why is it such a heavy deal? Because 
we're acknowledging our sins and that we're making teshuva for our sins when we're studying these 24 books, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're only given to us because of our sins. Mm. And right here we have these 24 sins here. And, you know, also mentions, you know, it would have stopped at Yehoshua, Yeshua, right? Right. right. And then right here mentions these, these uh, the 24 books that corresponds, as I mentioned before, into the, the full spelling of David's name with the Yud. Dalit Vav Yud Dalit. And so, you know, alluding to the pattern that's most take place, you know, Yeshua, the one who's willing to give up his position, his rightful position, uh, and his, his stance of glory, like the end of, at the, being at the end of the Torah, right? Mm-hmm. The fulfillment of it. To being David, the one who's going to come in, like an allusion to the one when he comes in and uh, rules and makes atonement and makes a tikkun and replication for these, these 24 sins. Wow. So we have this whole idea laid out within there. So we'll go through go through these and we'll talk about this whole idea of atonement as well. <clears throat> All right. We have uh, the blood you shed, says in verse four, the blood you shed and the idols you made. And then in verse six talks about the kings of Yehuda were corrupt. Imitating Gentiles kings, they perverted justice. Then we have sins four through eight. Father and mother are treated with contempt. The, the gera is oppressed. They exploited the orphan, orphan and the widow. Uh, my holy things, the service of Behemikdash, uh, desecration of, of Shabbat, right? Slander, eating idolatrous offerings, lewd deeds, sin with the father's wife, abused a woman in the da. Abomination with his friend's wife, defiled his daughter-in-law, another his sister. <clears throat> taking bribes, taking interest, which is divided into interest for taking money and food. Taking gain, oppressing the poor. And the last one is forgetting Hashem. Wow. On top of all that, just forgetting Hashem. <laughs> yes. We'll touch, we'll touch back on that, that last one in a second. Okay. But, you know, you have this this whole idea of things that actually bring atonement and three, and this whole idea of teshuva through this. And we, we go at, like, towards the end. And verse uh, 13 says, Now behold, I have pounded my head because of your robbery you've committed and because of your bloodshed that was in your mind. And then... Verse 14, can your heart endure? Can your hands be strong the days when I shall deal with you? And literally you have uh, his shin in these verses showing this overwhelming amount of pain and sorrow that this is going to take place. Right. And literally this wondering that will my children be able to survive? Uh, because like their fate has been sealed. Mm. And so uh, Abba Ronald has this explanation that Literally, this is like a decree that could not be revoked. This whole exile is about to take place. <clears throat> and there's a question that comes up, you know, why did, did the Jews, why did we lose the opportunity at this time to do Teshuva? That's a great point. <laughs> and it really comes down to, it was sins between man and his friend. Ben Adam are you serious? 
Yes. So like the greatest commandment, the second greatest commandment, which is like the first? Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. Because what you've done to them, you've, you've done to me. Man is made in the image of God. But well, Hashem, Hashem can't forgive this because because of his his principle. Because it's on a higher level. Like um, Hashem is not going to forgive those who betrayed others. Like he'll forgive those who betray him, but how can he forgive you for something you did to someone else? <clears throat> you know, that goes with Yom Kippur on how, you know, the sins between you and Hashem, he can atone for, but not for sins between us and our fellow man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's the principle why. And a lot of times we could, we could do the shuva and we can, we can reverse the effects However, in this case, some of the sins that were mentioned were, were bloodshed and, and thievery. And thievery was really the one that pushed over the edge, just like the generation of flood. Ken. Wow. And it, it's like, why? why? What, what is this difference between murder and thievery? Like, we have all these sins, and some of them are, are very vile, you know? But it's, it's this idea that... Um, you 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 can't ask for forgiveness with murder or thievery. And why can you not ask for forgiveness for murder? Why? Well, how the person is going to forgive you when he's dead? You know, a little, little tongue in cheek, but I mean, it's true. Like the person is, is is dead. Like there's no way he could forgive you for you committing the act against him. And the other one is is theft. Is this idea that a lot of these these deaths were were like public theft and just money was being taken from people and like, you don't necessarily know who you took money from or how much from this person, how much from that person. So how are you going to repay that back to them? Whoa. And so literally the only option that that was there for us was this option of of exile. Yeah. This op- the option of, of that would be the only fitting retribution slash rehabilitation that we could offer. And just to hide this, this whole idea, because I think it's uh, maybe more of a, a childish, immature way to look at it, um, to see a shim as punishing us. When we do something wrong, oh, he's punishing us, right? It's more in the fact that he's he's trying to clean up our mess. Wow. You know, it's, there's this whole structure into the way Hashem created the world, and these there's what's called these kachot. Uh, and it's like these, these forces that literally govern everything and creation like when things change it's according to these forces when when things begin it's according to these forces that Hashem has set into place however uh, they affect every single thing except really one thing and that is man's free will hmm. and so man like we really have so much power Hashem's imbued us with so much power that like really we could we could take an object and act upon it and that goes back up to these this these these forces that govern the world right and and that causes so much uh either blessings in our world or curses in our world and so literally when whenever we we transgress this transgress a commandment or we keep a commandment it's it's literally like this reaction the result of that is the reaction based on what we've already done that's very and 
What's that? I say that is very powerful when you think about the implications of that. Yes, I was like, <laughs> it's 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 extreme. You know, he's he's given us so much so much power, and so literally, we think about it. You know, if we if we mess up, then we've just sent this this negative energy back into uh, this the forces that like, literally control everything, right? That Hashem set in place for everything. And it's literally like you, you can, can compare it to, you know, sitting at a table, you know, there's your children there, right? And he, and he uh, knocks, knocks over some, uh, I don't know, some chips on the floor, right? Right. Say, okay, well, you could just, just pick that up, right? There's your regular teshuva, okay? Just, just ask for forgiveness, say, hey, acknowledge you did something wrong, fix the problem, it's fine. You know, and then, then maybe he smells, you know, maybe it's like matzah and he takes the matzah and he crumples it up and casts it on the floor. You know, it's like, okay, well, we can't quite pick up all the pieces, so let's go get the vacuum cleaner. Right. <laughs> and so you, you vacuum all that up. It's like, okay, that was a little more difficult to clean up than the chips, but we got it fixed. And then, you know, okay, maybe it's, it's Shabbos and you have you know, bark and wine or kind of kosher wine or uh, kadem, you know, the the grape juice there and he knocks that over onto the carpet and you're like, Oy vey. <laughs> this, this is not going to be as easy to come out as everything else. Uh, and so that's literally what, what's happening here. Like, like there's so much that could have been done. Like if, if they just stopped at a certain point or, or fixed the problem at the beginning, it could have been cleaning up like the chips or it could have been cleaning up like the crumbled moths of the vacuum. But, because especially these two sins of a murder of thievery, thievery, things they couldn't actually find, uh, make amends for with their fellow man, because there's no possible way for them to do that, that, okay, here's this exile. This is the only way I could fix this, right? Man. And so this is literally what's, what's going on. And this is literally why uh, exile was the only fitting way to rehabilitate, rehabilitate Israel at the time and restore them at the time and cleanse them at that time. It was the only way to clean up the mess that, that they instilled into the world because of literally their power to influence uh, the physical realms. And that's mentioned that's mentioned all throughout the Torah portion. It says, you know, because of your evil ways, the earth will spit you out. Yes. Right? Absolutely. He's given us the power to have dominion on this earth and make literally like if you you're really concerned about the trees, you know, and the animals and and world peace and you know just study torah and, and abide by it you know it's not about you know yes you know do what you can if you can recycle something recycle something you know yes you could you know plant trees and these are all great things that are all torah based things but once you make that your god you're literally going into the land of idolatry and you're causing more problems because you're not going directly to the source and allowing the blessings to unfold wow tag <laughs> Go for it. Mishneh Torah Teshuvah 2-4. Repentance 2-4. Among the ways. By the way, you should note the word among the ways is Mordecai in Ivrit. <laughs> Just uh, Oh, wow. It literally says uh, Midarke, <laughs> which is the same letters as Mordecai. So, <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm going to pretend like that didn't sidetrack me. Okay, so among the ways of Teshuva are for the penitent to continue to cry out in tearful supplication before the name, 
to bestow alms according to his means, gives it Akka, and to distance himself exceedingly from the thing wherein he sinned. To have his identity changed as if saying, I am now another person and not the person who perpetrated those misdeeds. To completely change his conduct for the good and straight path and to exile himself from his place of residence for exile atones iniquity. Exile atones iniquity because it leads him to submissiveness and to be meek and humble spirited. End of section. I love that, man. Exile atones. <laughs> yes. And I just bring been, down the laws of the Shuva atonement. Love it. Right. I just been thinking about how it's been at least 2000 years of our current exile. And why are we still in it? You know, yeah. like that's just literally been my thought. Not, not really that there's an, there's one specific answer. Cause obviously there's a lot, but if we have all this power, then we need to really use it because with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, to quote that movie, but they got it from Torah. And, you know... Like many things and all things. Right? So, like, what... Like, come on. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful idea. It's like we needed to acknowledge uh, how valuable and how powerful we are. And, you know, that's, that's literally... Like the, the sages, the sages say, Chazal say that uh, literally every day we need to say the world was created for me. Man. And, you know, we mentioned this before, it's not a statement of, of arrogance. It's this idea of once you acknowledge your true worth, your true value, like your, your, your purpose, essentially, then you can, you, you literally look outside of yourself and you see everything you're capable of doing, everything you should do, and it's it's uh, it's the most uh, humbling thing you can do. If the world's created for me, then wow, what am I what am I going to do now? Like, what do I need going to do about it? Absolutely. Well, may we stick you know, that claim now because we need we need our temple and we need our Mashiach. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, you know, on this whole idea, you know, Chazal actually described like a sinner who does not seek forgiveness from his victims as a person who attempts to purify himself in a mikvah while holding a dead, uh, a dead uh, sharetz oh. right in his hand, which is this very source of his contamination. And what does Yeshua say, you know, about you know making amends with your brother before you go offer your gift? Right. Right, how, and you're, you're trying to get close to God. That's the, the whole, whole idea of Corbinot offerings, right? Getting close to God. Same thing as a mikvah, because Hashem is the mikvah of Israel. So when you're dunking in a mikvah, like you're getting literally immersed in Hashem. It's all about coming close to Him. That's the whole aspect of Teshuvah. And so if you separate yourself from your fellow man, or you're causing harm to them, then you really can't get close to Hashem. Like you can't... <clears throat> it's like going to... Um, the uh, a painter's house and just starting destroying his canvases. You think he's gonna be he's gonna welcome you with open arms? Uh, no, and you can't tell that <coughs> painter that you love him and you want another painting. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. 
Um, but just on this idea of making making tikkun and you know, there's different aspects of of making atonement for these sins. You mentioned exile. We mentioned suffering. Um, mentioned teshuva. Um, there's another way, and that is actually Gehinnom. Wow. And just to uh, touch on this this aspect, um, because you know there is we're in the Edomite exile, and so there's there's this idea about Gehinnom. It's like that it's just like okay, it's there to punish, punish the wicked, and and that they're going to be there forever, being tortured, and whatnot. But it's not necessarily the Jewish idea of it. So go into it real quick. Let's transform our minds on this. Yes. Okay. Dynamic uh, page here. So, but before we get to that, um, okay. the <clears throat> touch on the the whole the Christian idea. You know, there's there's this whole idea of of okay, believe believe in Jesus or or essentially burn in hell, right? Turn forever. Burn. And you know, there there's actually this underlying truth in everything. Was we hinted before, like all these movies, um, all these movies. There's actually a basis in Torah for it. And a lot of times you have to uncover a lot of a lot of filth in order to get there. Wow. Um, so, but if you kind of look at the whole idea of, of believe in, believe in uh, Jesus or burning hell, right? And you know, um, not that you shouldn't, you should believe in Mashiach, but uh, this whole idea, what is the Christian really saying? Because, you know, Yeshua is a Mashiach and Mashiach is an aspect of the oral law, right? Wow. And so what are they saying is like, you will not have life in your life. The underlying message, not when I say what they're saying, but the underlying message, the truth behind all that filth that you've got to wipe away is if you don't believe in the oral law, an aspect of oral law, then you cannot have true life. Wow. So this is this, like every, everything has this underlying truth, this aspect of, of godly truth, this little spark in it. That allows it to have life to flourish, and all all the lies will kind of like wrap around it, and you have to dig away for it in this world. You have to dig away all the lies and and all all the, the falsehoods and find the tr- the kernel truth in there and pull that out and redeem that spark. Amen. And so gathering the sparks. But uh, from Midrash Rabbah, on this idea of Gehenna. Um, because it, it is a thing, uh, but mentions that uh, in Rashid Rabbah six six, talking about how Shem is going to literally un, undo the sheath of the sun, and literally the the righteous will be healed by it, and the wicked will be destroyed by this. And you know, it's it's interesting because you know this also ties into how how Torah is way before its time. You know, of course, it's timeless. But it's it predates science. It's way ahead of science. Because we have only recently discovered there actually is an outer covering, a sheath, if you will, to the sun. 
And this actually keeps us all from burning alive because the inner temperature of the sun is so much more hot, right? Right. Um, but mentions this idea, okay, what, what's going on here? And it says, um, down here on the insights, it talks about uh, when that time comes. Uh, let me go back up a little bit. Uh, God will unsheathe the sun, revealing the infinite bright core. When that time comes, Gehenna will become irrelevant. The purpose of Gehenna has always been to cleanse human souls of their sins and prepare them to enjoy their eternal reward. But with the world bathed in the overpowering light of creation, any stains on the souls of the righteous will be burned off without a trace. In the words of the Talmud and Nebarim 8b, the righteous will be healed by the sanctifying rays of the rejuvenated sun. The wicked, on the other hand, will not take well to the spiritual brilliance of the new world order. Again, the Talmud's words, they will be brought to justice through it. For the day itself, that is the searing holiness of the daylight in its new form, so therapeutic and uplifting for those attuned to it, will act upon the wicked like a consuming fire, burning a hasting into their sinful existence. And so, uh, just kind of put things on the timeline. What happens here is there is, uh, you know, we die, and we either go into the Alam HaNeshavot, right? Mm-hmm. And our souls are there enjoying like kind of like a like Gan, Gan Eden. And there's other aspect where we go into Gehinnom in order to purify us of whatever needs to be purified for however long that takes up to 12 months, right? No longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, we are brought up for the great day of judgment. And the wicked who could not be purged of their sins through Gehinnom Literally, the Hashem is going to unsheath the sun at that point, and depending on your character and how well, like, refine yourself, how you lived in this world, determines if you're going to be obliterated by that sun or you're going to be healed by it. Wow. So, just kind of get the timeline of like, kind of like after death and what happens in the, the day of judgment, at least in part. Uh, that'd be too much of a deep study to do on like an hour, you know, but right. just as a side to kind of atone for this idea of, uh, this Christian idea of, of hell, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily this eternal punishment. Hashem had it in mind also for our good, right? Just like, just like excellence. No, it's not the ideal thing. And yes, we want to do everything we can to, to, to take the easy route, but, you know, if it comes down to it, he's he's instituted plans to to refine us and, and heal us and bring atonement and cleanse cleansing for us. Wow. So it's really beautiful when you think about that whole idea of how much mercy Hashem has. That's incredible. You know. Even even in just as an aside, even within the the books in our Tanakh, like we mentioned the whole idea there's twenty four books. But one book is literally it's the twelve prophets, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you literally take those as separate books, then you have we have thirty-five books in in our Tanakh, which is the gematria of of Lamed Hay, which is you know often translated as as, as uh, her, like towards her, like kind of possessive. But um, if you break down the letters, you have Lamed and then Hay, literally like Lamed, which is a, a prefix that means to or towards, and Hay which is, could stand for uh, Hashem, 
Ken. or it could stand for the five books of Torah. Yes. And so literally these, these 35 books, if you break it down, break down the 12 prophets, are always meant to point us back in the direction of, of Torah, Shen's teaching. Always meant to, to, to pull us back to Hashem himself. Wow. And this is really the whole aspect of Teshuvah. You know, while we're on the talking about it, it's, Teshuvah isn't uh, necessarily uh, a means to an end of gaining, quote-unquote, eternal life. You know, Teshuvah it doesn't necessarily mean that there will not be consequences for our actions, as we see here. I'm sure there's people who did Teshuvah, but they still had to go through exile with everyone else. Um, what Teshuvah means is that the, the sinner, even though he has sinned, even though he has separated himself from, from Hashem, he's able to rebuild his relationship with Hashem despite having sinned. Amen. Thank Hashem for that. So, amen. You know, just, and really, if you think about it, if, if it's done in the right way in, in order to not necessarily escape punishment, but to restore your relationship, it really reveals the depth of Hashem's love for us. Wow. That... You know, and and in doing so, it creates an even stronger bond than the one that existed before the sin. So, this is one of the reasons why we have to experience exile. We have to go through this this deepening, if you will, of ourselves. And in exile, literally, we have like all this this hardships and difficulties. But it also allows those difficulties allow us countless opportunities of doing chesed. Yeah. You know, to our fellow man. And recommitting like this whole social contract with our with our our you know Jewish brothers and sisters and and to the world the whole world for real you know and so so through this exile we're literally like our, our bond with the shim and everyone else is actually strengthened and that is actually our true teshuva so you know, shim has made it harder for us and so we would inquire even more merits wow get you some. You know, it's incredible to, to think of the opportunities we have in exile because the most common thing that uh, is the reaction when people find out that I'm not Muslim is they're like, my goodness. oh my word, I've never seen a black Jew before. So, people are unlearned. I know, well, not to be colorful in the commentary, but I mean... If we weren't in exile, there are just things that are that would be lacking for people to experience about true Torah, true Judaism, true believers in Messiah Yeshua. And I think it's absolutely incredible that Lapid gets to be here where we are because, you know, who's ever seen a true observant Jew that believes in Messiah Yeshua? You know, like, what is that? <laughs> yes. So, anyway, just wanted to bring that out to your point about the opportunities that are in exile, even though it's tough and it's challenging. Yeah, no, and I love that that point of of what uh, a thut, one of a, a testimony. Yes, that a is. Testimony. You know, um, because you th you think about that, that's that's a total flip on reality, and uh, to have. Uh, a Jewish person who's observant, who believes in, in the Mashiach. And, you know, it's also something for us to, you know, kind of get a, uh, like a, uh, like a, a fire underneath us and within us yes. that we should strengthen ourselves in our observance, that we should be like as, as, as stringent 
and observant as as possible. I mean, you know, because literally you have this whole unusual side, if you will, and the whole world is is looking. When the whole world sees it, the whole world's going to look at it and they're going to analyze it. And they're going to take take it apart or take you apart, Believe and they're literally going to see, okay, well, this, 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 and this. And the more we are inclined to literally observe observe the halakha, observe the Torah, and, and literally walk it out to the best of our ability, then the more light we're going to shine, the more we're actually going to redeem Meshach's image from being literally this guy who said, according to to most quote-unquote believers, to do away with the Torah. Mm. But, you know, the more adamant we are about, about following Torah in, in, our, in a practical manner, the more we redeem his image. Oh, and man. so that's really one of the hearts of, of what it is, at least I know for about, about is for me, redeeming his image and as well as the Pete itself. So, but we got time for story time. We absolutely do. Uh, we are okay. within the five minute marker. So, okay. Without further ado, story time. Come on. Quoting from uh, 2211. So the man has committed an abomination with his friend's wife. Among you, another has literally defiled his daughter-in-law, and another, his sister, his father's daughter. And it's talking about the cases of adultery in one particular case that really, uh, let's mention. Certainly a Jew, uh, a certain Jew once overheard his wife warning their daughter. If you ever get illicitly involved with a man, just make sure no one finds out about it. Learn from me. I have ten sons, and only one of them is from your father. What was a shocked husband to do after hearing the truth from his own life? He decided to keep the bitter secret to himself, not wanting to suffer the humiliation that would ensue if it became public knowledge. However, the fact that he had no way of discovering which of the ten was indeed his offspring greatly troubled him. Then a calming thought occurred to him to ensure that after his demise his property would remain in the possession of his own progeny. He would state in his will, I bequeath all my possessions to one son. The identity of my heir is to be determined by the Beit Din. He was confident that the Chachamim would figure out a way out of this delicate situation. After the man died, the sons, in quotations, read the last will and testament. They were dumbstruck. What could it mean? There was only one way to find out. They went to consult Rav Banaya, one of the great sages of their time, Rav Banaya, immediately grasped the situation. There was only one way to discover which son your father intended to be his heir, he told the family. You must visit his grave and knock on his tombstone, forcefully if necessary, until he appear and enlighten you himself with the answer. The sons followed uh, Rav Banaya's instructions, but nothing happened. They returned to the rabbi complaining. I'm surprised my method didn't work, the sage responded. Is it possible that one of you failed to do exactly as I'd instructed? It turned out that one of the sons had indeed not been present at the grave-banging ceremony. Young man, what did you have to say for yourself? Rav Benai asked him. How can I treat my father's resting place with such disrespect? The young man replied. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. You are your father's heir, Rav Benaiah announced. All of his belongings are yours. The brothers were furious. They resented the trick the rabbi had played on them. They decided to take their grievance to the local authorities. There was a Jewish rabbi who was a deciding uh, 
pecuniary cases without a witness or evidence, they informed them. The rabbi was arrested. In the meantime, his wife present, uh, presented a complaint to the authorities, but worded it so intricately that no matter how long the officers puzzled over it, they were not able to decipher it. The only one able to figure it out was the rabbi. Wow. The authorities then admitted that Rav Maniah, in his wisdom, was indeed worthy of the role of judge, and they appointed him to a high position in their own court of law. The end. Wow. Well, all right then. So, you know, a lot of a lot of amazing things you could kind of take from this story. You know, um, <laughs> there's diamonds <laughs> everywhere, bro. Like, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> The <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. adulterous woman, the clever rabbi, the worried father, and the true son, you know. Man. Uh, but it kind of goes back to also like what we talked about about like there's a lot of just these kernels of truth that are covered up in the world that we really had to dig out. And we got to make sure we're applying ourselves in diligence to the mitzvahs and Torah so we're clever enough to actually dig up the truth and all these lies and all these falsehoods and all these, all this, just, just this filth. You know, just like the the rabbi was able to do when he sent them on on this quest. The whole other aspect of the, of the son, who literally he couldn't bring himself to dis- disrespect of his father, even if it meant that he was at a complete loss, where he would be have nothing, not a penny to his name. He said, "I can't do it." Wow. You know, which is is really really telling. You know, especially for this half where we read about all these. Um, all these sins that that happen, and like, how was he able to nullify himself to this point? And maybe one on a more practical note: How are we able to? Are, are we able to do something to strengthen that aspect of us about nullifying what what we want? You know, so we don't end up on any any aspect of even coming close to any of these sins in the half Torah or. You know, or or even just in this case where we wouldn't even dare disrespect our father. What what can we possibly do? Is there anything we can do about that? And I would like to, um, you know, just advocate for the idea that that Chazal already had that in mind, and they were very intentional when they included this in the ending of the Shimon Ezra. Oh come on, come on. <laughs> My God, guard my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking deceitfully. To those who curse me, let my soul be silent. Let my soul be like dust to everyone. Be like dust to everyone. Open my heart to your Torah. So your commandments I will pursue. And as for those who plot evil against me, speedily nullify their counsel and disrupt their designs. Act for the sake of your name, act for the sake of your right hand, act for the sake of your sanctity, act for the sake of your Torah, in order that your beloved ones may be released, and, you know, uh, save me with your right hand and answer me. Sorry, kind of reading from any literary sodor here, so I apologize, it's a little jumpy, but... Um, but we know what you're talking about, though. This whole idea of, you know, guard my tongue from evil, you know, slander is mentioned in this half tour quite frequently. You know, and like nullify heart, let my soul be like dust. Those who curse me, nullify the schemes of the wicked. So I'm not put in a position where I could have to defend myself to the point of, of violating or coming close to violating your mitzvah. You know, like this is literally something we, we 
like after the Shimon Ezra, this is the blessing that's that's right after it. You know, I think they know what they're doing. Like when they instituted how to pray, the design of prayer. Right. right. Well, because at and this so, point we're we're descending spiritually, because we're we've experienced the height of unifying with the Shekinah, and now we're lowering ourselves back into the the mundane or you know the lesser of the the holiness, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that through such a supplicatory prayer. Like that's beautiful. Yes. You know what? Like, like there's there's no better way you could possibly end that whole idea. Mm. But uh, mm. I guess just kind of on the, a closing note before we go into practical takeaways is um, just like towards the end of this half Torah, it, it mentions us being drosh and us having to go through essentially exile to be refined so that we become literally silver again, shimmering silver that's pure. Um, but it mentions in, in verse 20, like right after this, it talks about gathering. A gather of silver, copper, and iron, lead in a tin, the furnace, to blow fire on it, to smelt it. And so I'll gather you in my anger and my wrath. I will deposit you and smelt you. But it's full of the idea of refining us, becoming that we'd be like pure silver before him. Amen. But it mentions that, so I will gather, you know, uh, Dr. Sofrim mentions that God reserves for himself the task of bringing us together, the people, into Jerusalem. And also in verse 18, like, it seems like all this is negative, right? But there's this, there's this phrase where it says, Ben Adam Ha'uli Bet Israel. And the, the whole term li is like, to me, Lily is, whenever this expression occurs, it, it means that there's an eternal acquisition by God. Accordingly, Israel is God's acquisition, like it's eternal. Like, even though we're going through this process, he's not going to forsake us. Amen. And so, even with just with a, a cursory reading of, of just uh, scripture, the whole replacement theology is, is completely debunked. That's right. There is that. So, well, Baruch Hashem, for just uh, the amazing uh, insights and connections with our Haftarah. So, may Hashem bless you so much. You know, I know you as well, Aki. Baruch Hashem, I mean, I, you know, I just want to point out that I do not take it for granted, and may none of us take it for granted, that what we get to drosh about on a weekly basis, I mean, this right here is just... It's insanely beautiful, you know? Yes. So, um, I just want to let you know, I do not take it for granted, and I am very thankful. So. Man, I love that spirit. You know, may we all develop, like, this whole spirit of just gratitude. Oh, man. You know? Because it's hard, it's hard to be bitter. It's hard to be uh, any, any, foster any kind of negativity when you're busy being grateful. You know? That's, that's right. <laughs> so. You already started us in the practical takeaways, <laughs> I guess. I mean, well, uh, I kind of have a few things, and I would like to try to keep them as short as possible. But uh, okay. would you like to go first, or would you like like me to go first? How would you like to do it? Uh, yeah, I guess I could I could mm, uh, mention a few things, um, or a couple things. All right, hit. Um, but just on, I guess... Uh, sign out something we didn't quite get to get to um, is the the last phrase 
or the last sin, if you will, that's mentioned here is that they forgot me. Hmm. Right, you have forgotten me, says Hashem Elohim, for you have fulfilled your selfish desires rather than heed my command. We mentioned how do we do that, right? How do we nullify ourselves? Right, and that's that's you know one aspect of that is the in prayer the Shemona Ezra just constantly repeating those phrases, uh, and bringing that into existence. We talked about you know just how much power we have as human beings that He's instilled this free will, and uh, that we could literally affect all of reality with our our speech, our thoughts, our speech, and our actions. Um, but on the other note, right, that's how we. Um, like nullify our selfish desires, but also has this idea of how do we remember Hashem? How do we not forget Him? And wow. yeah, it's in- interesting that uh, really they, they they failed to fulfill the obligation spelled out for us in the beginning. Uh, like literally, if you look at literally the uh, the very beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, the, the, this whole code of Halakha, right, where it references the Tehillim which is famous, like literally if you're reading any like halakhic work or anything like that, or, or especially Mishnah Torah that you were just quoting from Rambam, like it always, it's literally derived directly from a scripture. Yeah. And so these are not just man-made up rules that just thrown out there from someone who didn't understand the language, the culture, anything. These are people who are so familiar with the traditions, so familiar with the language, they knew it literally like even better than the back of their hand. Come on. And it always gets quoted from a source. And so, like this, the, the very opening of the Shulchan Rook, I think, speaks volumes about the whole purpose of, of every aspect of how we walk out our lives as Jews. Wow. And that's quotes from Telim 1.8. It says, I have set God always before me. And so, this is the very opening of the Shulchan Rook. Wow. The very opening thing, the very first halacha, is maybe even the most difficult one to fulfill, if you will. But <laughs> yeah. if if we get this right, if we're adamant about striving for this, then everything else will fall into place. And it says it says this, I have set Hashem before me constantly. Right, also mentioned in Telim 16.8. It, um, it is a fundamental concept of the Torah and of the spiritual levels of the righteous who walk before God, for the manner in which a person sits and his movements and his activities are not the same when he is sitting alone at home, as his manner of sitting, his movements, and his activities when he is in the presence of a great king. Similarly, his speech and expression are not when in the company of his household and family members comparable to his speech when he is in the presence of a king. Because then, when in the presence of a king, he certainly examines all his movements and speech, so they should be properly refined. Certainly, when a person will take to heart that the great king, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whose glory fills the world, quoting from Yeshia 6.3, is standing over him and observing his actions, as is stated in Jeremiah 23.24, if a person were to hide in concealment, would I not see him, says Hashem? Indeed, I fill the entire heaven and earth. The entire heaven and earth. Certainly, upon realizing this, one will be immediately overtaken by fear and submissiveness uh, out of all of Hashem, blessed is the name, and he will be humbled and bashful before him. Bruce, and man. so, literally, the whole start to it, and so, literally, no matter if it's just like a, 
a little little thing of such as like how how you tie your shoes, how you put on your shirt, or or how you count the omer. Wow. Um, like what or you know how you pray. You know, like the little aspects, all these little details. Relationships are are built or broken off little details. If you ask like any counselor, marriage counselor, anything like that who has any experience, they'll tell you that. And literally, that's the that's the whole foundation, the whole fabric woven through all the halakha, all the little things we do, all the little details we do, is through the purpose of setting the shim before us, having him in mind. It's all about how can I make his presence visible and real in my life? From Even if I'm just tying my shoes, even if I'm, you know, not doing anything holy, like tying tie my shoes, put on my, put on my coat, what I don't think is a holy action, or whether I'm praying or whether I'm, you know, how how I'm praying, you know, all, all, all these aspects. How do I study Torah? Where do I study Torah? You know, all these little details. It's uh, by observing them, literally making Hashem visible and present in our lives. And and by doing so, you know, especially like what you said about being a, a Jew who believes in Yeshua as Mashiach, like literally you're redeeming his image. Because they've seen Messianics who call him Yeshua. Right. They've seen all sorts of things like our Jewish brothers and sisters in, in the world. Yep. But there's there's not, in the, at least in the public eye, a group of believers who is is Torah observant to the, the oral law, to the halacha, and, and at least striving in that direction more so each and every day who believes in Yeshua. That's, that's an anomaly. And that's something that's going to change the world. Amen. 12 did it before, but 300 about to do it now. Oh, man. <laughs> you got more? Um, I, I'll, I'll let you go, man. I'll let you go. All right. So I want to hear what you have to say for sure. Quick machine gun on a couple of things uh, before I get to my big point. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to back you up about Mashiach Ben Yosef being an aspect of oral Torah because that probably went uh, crazy on some peoples. And if it didn't go crazy on some peoples, then Baruch Hashem... Because here's the source brought down by Shonuf Pincus, who is Shavile Pincus, who actually has commentary in the Midrash Rabbah. That's how legit he is. And uh, he is commenting on Bereshit 41:42 about Yosef Hazarik being handed the ring from Paro. And he brings down the commentary on that verse from Ohev Yisrael, the great rabbi of Apta. May his memory be blessed. Says that this pasuk alludes to the fact that Hakadosh Baruchu adorned Yosef with the kedusha of with the kedusha of the shas, which is with the kedusha of the six orders of Mishnah. Which is the Kedusha of the Oral Torah. Wow. So, just want to point that out. So, Yosef is literally considered the chariot of the Oral Torah. So, if it is that for Yosef, how much more so for Mashiach ben Yosef? So, that was the first little thing. Second little thing is Barakot 57b. Fire is a 60th part of Gehenna. So when we're talking about literally spending 12 months, hopefully less, uh, in that purification process, should that need to be the course of action, 
just know that if you stick your hand in an open flame now, that that's only a 60th of what Gehenna is. Hey. So, uh, I've been burned before and it's not nice. So just it's not a fun experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's this whole other thing that that's what your soul will be experiencing, not your physical body. So soul pain is worse than physical pain. Just going to leave it at that. And my big takeaway though, is actually going to be from Zohar Beha Aloteca 14. Because we're talking about the fact of really refining ourselves, really doing things that when when we just get down to where the rubber meets the road, we just flat out don't want to do it. Unless we're regenerated by the spirit of Hashem, filled with the spirit of Mashiach Yeshua, and we yearn passionately to be devoted and cleaved to him, then we're going to, I mean, unless that's the facts, then we really don't want to do that. Hence why Mashiach says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So with that being the case, what we've been talking about this whole podcast is literally the essence of Kedoshim, Kedoshim, our parasha for the week. And I just think it's so beautiful that this Zohar brings it down. So again, Beha Aloteca 14 says... We learn that the soul is the vessel of Hashem and that Hashem will not dwell in it until it is purged in the fire of Gevora. Also, people are cleansed by the oral or by the written Torah from the right, which is referred to as water. The completely wicked are purified in Gehenna, but those who study the oral Torah and the written Torah are purified through the Torah. So this picture that's brought down here is that Gevora is on the left hand. Chesed is on the right hand. Gevora is likened to fire and Chesed is likened to water. Mashiach is going to immerse us in fire and water, which is Torah and Teshuva. The Torah is fiery. The Torah is watery. And our Teshuva is to return us to Hashem through the right and the left hand, which centralizes in the middle and this beautiful Sephirah called Teferit. Just like this week's Omer is the week of Teferit. So... When you look at the beauty of that, this is like the week for understanding the unification, literally, of fire and water. You know, the true mikvah that Mashiach has brought us into. And furthermore, if we are in this world undergoing the stringencies, undergoing the refinements, undergoing the cleaving and the attaching to Hashem, then we are already sparing ourselves and doing the work of what Gehenna is there for. So if we go through our hardships, if we go through all of our challenges, if we get over our fleshly desires, then we are taking our own measure of judgment, if you will, for lack of a better terms, so that we would Bezrat Hashem be exempt from Gehenna. Because we're already doing it now. 
and we're doing it in the most wonderful way that Hashem would desire us and would rather us do than have to cop out and go into Gehenna as a last resort. And the final thing that I would just like to point out is you talk about this this beautiful story time about the son who was willing to just lose everything for the sake of honoring his father. Well, I'd like to submit from the distinguished gentleman known as Shaul, uh, the Agarit to Philippi, which is Philippians chapter three, verse eight. It says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth the surpassing and infinite value of Da'at Mashiach Yeshua Adonai. Okay, so, uh, and then he, the rest of the verse, for uh, whose sake, for his sake, I have lost all things. I consider them as garbage. I consider them as rubbish. I consider them as things that I would rather not esteem, that I may gain Mashiach. So, there's that. You, if I may, just said something that I thought was amazing that you were talking about. Well, all of it really, but bring it on. In in particular, you know, you mentioned this idea of, of fire is one sixtieth of a Gehenna. And, you know, towards also to the, towards the end of this, this half tour, it seems to end on this kind of sad note, which is really, really extremely unusual for any half tour. Usually they'll append another verse to make it positive. Right. But I'd, I'd like to kind of submit that it's, it's left up to you of how you'll see it. Oh, nice. much like, much like what we talked about, the, the sun unsheathing the sun. Right? Is it is it going to heal you? Is it going to obliterate you with the Judgment Day? Right? And yeah. also, what do we do at the at the end of every Shabbat to begin our week? We have a little ceremony called Havdalah. Ken, right? Love it. Love it's distinction. It. And automatically, when you said you put your hand in the fire, you know, I was, I was thinking about putting my hand towards the fire, like in the Havdalah ceremony. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> it was like, and then you said put it in the fire, like, oh no, 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 that's not how it goes. No, <laughs> do not. not but <laughs> Uh, we do put our hands very, very close to the candlelight, and you know the the idea is you you, uh, you move it to where you could see the the nails on your hand, mm. right? And you could see the light shining off of them, and so it's like what this whole distinction ceremony? Are you going to view it as as you know? It's like it's like what choice you're going to make at that ceremony? Mm. You know your distinction between the Sabbath, the the, the holy. Right and the mundane, right? What's set apart for Shem and the, and the secular at that moment? And you have a choice when you're by that fire. Is it going to be the one sixtieth of Gehenna, right? Or are you going to remember like the nails? It says Adam was was coated in something like like the nails on her hand. Yes. And the light reflecting off that was like the light that was lost that we once had. Wow. And so how are we going to, what choice are we going to make? That's that's little kind of reflection we can have for a Havdalah ceremony. Are we going to be, are we going to be called up to, and, and when we, when we, when we perish, when we go from this world, are we going to go back to Ghana Din and the Alam HaNeshemot, the world of souls, or will we descend into Gehenna to be refined? 
And so it is kind of a reflection of what what we do if they have Dallas service. And that's the end of this parish or the Haftarah. Yes, the whole idea of like like drosh says. Therefore, since you've all become dross, therefore I will gather you all to Jerusalem, right? Wow. And so, and then before at the beginning, after he mentioned Jerusalem as also the city of bloodshed, and so it's kind of like, where where are you going? Are you going to the holy city of Jerusalem, or are you going to the Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that you you desecrated and made the place of bloodshed that you have to atone for with your own blood? Right. Yeah. So it's all it's all in perspective. It's all in how we look at it, and it's all in the the choices that we make. Well, I I, uh, I cannot resist. I am so sorry. <laughs> Pun <laughs> tag. Pun oh. tag. You said when we put our hand to the flame, close to the flame. To see the light reflect off the nails of our hand. I could not help but think about the light that must reflect off the nails that were in the hands of (laughs) Mashiach. Yeah, uh, okay. And it's up to us what we do with it. Because here's our mezuzah hanging up. Literally the word posted on a doorpost. Mm -hmm. Blood on the doorpost. Posted on the stake. Are we going to embrace what he's done for us and accept that renewal? Or are we just going to shalom, manipulate it and um, what's that disturbing word they do with things? Uh, pervert it into Ooh. another religion, another faith, another way of life. And the choice is wow. left up to us. So, yeah, just to <laughs> just as a support tag, just real quick, you know, I mentioned the, the shape of the Vav, uh, Truman, and, and different works of Chassidut uh, comment that the shape of the Vav is not just of a of a nail, but it is of the initial light that came into creation. <sighs> and so, you really, when you said that the like the light coming out from his nail pierced hands, like. Like I, that's the imagery I got. Like this, it's like literally sourced out in Chassidut. Okay. So, I don't know. I I really think we just need to make the uh, the half tour like thirty minutes. The next thirty minutes, we just go on an epilogue of <laughs> of different ideas. You so, know what? I I would second that. And uh, offline, we yeah, shall let's talk to Shem. Talk about that next time. Okay. So yes, yes. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Zur Ko HaOlamim, Zadik Beko HaDorot, HaEl HaNeeman, HaOmer VeOse, Hamdaber Umkayem Shekol Devarav Emet Vazerek, Neeman Atahu Adonai Eloheinu, Vene Emanim, Devareka Vedavar Echad, Midvareka Achor Lo Yashuv, Recham Ki El Melech, Neeman Virakaman Ata Baruch Ata Adonai Hael Haneeman Bekol Devarav Biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Amen. Well, Shalom. Thank you for joining us and Shavuot Tov. Shalom.